Welcome to The Generalist, a podcast of Canadian occupational therapy perspectives. I'm your host, Jen Taubenze. Season one explores the highs, lows, and lessons of the first years of practice. Today, we have an interview with Lauren Levier covering the topics of creating your own role, establishing your professional brand, and making waves in big systems. I'm here today with Lauren Levier. Uh, She's been an OT for about five years now. Her focus is in adult mental health and addiction. Lauren created her own position as a new grad in a residential addiction treatment program. Lauren is doing work with veterans focusing on mental health as well. So welcome, Lauren. Hi. You created your own role as a new grad. Yes. That's super inspiring. How did you do that? I like to say it was luck. because people chalk it up to skill or they think highly of you when I think a lot of it did have to do with luck and how the system played out, how funding played out and when I graduated. Um, So I was actually a a student that had the opportunity to be in that um, residential addiction treatment facility. And so when I applied for the job, I was the only one with experience because they've never had an OT. (laughs) So I lucked out in that sense. So I was hired and I started making that job in 2014 and I've been there ever since. Not saying it's not challenging, but definitely the job piece that we've created is definitely a love of mine and a a big, big passion. And I think that's probably why I'm still there. What inspires you most working in a residential treatment facility? Um, I think sometimes it's the... I guess we're talking about this later, misconceptions. (laughs) I think people have a a misconception of people with addiction. And I think addiction is largely misunderstood. And I really think that they are the best people. I really love working with adults. And I especially like working with adults who have um, autonomy. They have ideas. they're, They're high functioning. They are people. They have a spirit. And I think... Work, getting to work with those people and see them change even throughout a short time is just like the icing on the cake. It really makes you feel like you can see the human in it. It's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. Yeah, I love it's that. just so good. Yeah. So that's an opportunity, especially in a residential setting. I'm sure there's even more of that human connection, knowing that you get to see them for more than an hour in oh, a week or yeah like you can see them in the hall like and it's awesome to watch them when they first get in and they're kind of you know a little more on the side side they're kind of not sure they're not sure of the building and then over the weeks they you know they're walking a little taller they're standing a little straighter they smile at you they say oh, hi lauren in the hallway whereas you know before it's just neat it, the transformation is really cool even when it's small um So I think that that really helps watching, yeah, that human piece, like you said, that human connection is just, that's what they need. That's the basis of addiction, right? People don't use to use. Addiction is the thing, the behavior that we see, but what's underlying that is lack of human connection. Yeah. They need that love. Yeah. Yeah. Love. That's like somebody asked me, what do you think your clients need? And I was like, love, man, like everybody needs more love. The world does not have enough love in it. And especially for these guys. That's the truth. Yeah. So Lauren, it's, you know. Helping people be comfortable, loving, and feeling worthy of love. Is that true? I would love to say, yeah. (laughs) If we put it like a a unicorn spin on it, yep, 110%. It's not written in your functional goals for for OT sessions. It is definitely not in the functional goals. No, absolutely. Yes. Behind the can do this independently 60% of the time. Totally. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
I'm excited to talk more about those misconceptions and mm. more about your passion working with this population. Okay. But I'm going to take it back a little bit and just what were some of the clues to knowing it was possible to create a new OT role? I know you mentioned like just the grad year or when you finished and but how did you know that that was going to be OT was needed at that place at that place at the time? Well, when we were students, you could see there was gaps. And this is kind of what I try to describe to my students when I have them now is when you're looking to kind of build a role, you're the way you kind of, you got to try to get in the door, right? Because you're coming into a building or into a system that already has predefined roles. We have nurses, we have addiction counselors, they all have roles. Well, you're the OT and you're broad the broadest thing you've ever thought of we have a what hard do you time mean ex- we have the hardest time we have a hard time explaining ourselves right so i think when we're so broad it's really hard to be like pick a path like oh i'm gonna do this so what i always tell students it sounds stupid but i was like when you try to build a roll think about peanut butter and jam you can't have a peanut butter and jam sandwich without bread so your bread is going to be what is that basic thing what is a gap you need to gap fill what is this facility lacking that you can change so for one thing at our place was um, a lot about pain actually people were always managed with pain with medications and obviously in addictions there's an opiate crisis right now right so um, pain medication is not always the best way to try and manage someone's pain especially if they have an addiction history so trying to do pain management from a non-pharmacological perspective was really valuable and the whole staff saw that as valuable you know trying positioning trying posture trying stretching Mm -hmm. trying all these different types of techniques that you can do different ways of performing an activity talking about activities education so all different than drugs right that's not drugs that's not opiates Um, and that really made a difference so that was my bread so in order to get into the door and have people respect me as a professional give them something they don't have so find something that's and something concrete, not exactly. just a fluffy unicorn. No, Help no people unicorns. Love. <laughs> no, no unicorns. You can think that all you want in your head is having many unicorns in there, but no unicorns in real life. So totally, like, what's your bread? So then after you have your bread, like, do I like pain management? For sure I do. Is it the thing I want to do when I go to Henwood? No. <laughs> do you think I know anything about pain? No. Like, what I did know, I've learned. I didn't know anything when I started. It was like a big question mark for me, right? We had like an hour's worth of a pain class in school. After that, after you've built your foundation, after you have your bread, now you can have your PB and J. Okay, what do you like to do? Right. Well, I actually really like doing cognition work. Now I do way more cognition work. Lauren's legit, like, okay, the role is here. There's an OT. What else can an OT do? Well, how about I start telling you about the things I like doing? Mm-hmm. So that's your P- that's, that's the good stuff. People I love that. People want to eat the peanut butter and the jelly, right? That's so great. I've always thought about, you know, how do you create a new role? I had one of the placements as well that was a new emerging and it's mm. like, okay, yeah, this is needed. How do we bridge that gap? Where was that metaphor? Come on, Lauren. Hey, <laughs> you got to promote that a little more. <laughs> peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time. I've actually been privileged enough to see some of Lauren's pain management classes and oh, yeah. they are amazing right. and there's so much more than just learning about pain. There's peer support. There is a chance for communicating and sharing about your own pain yeah. um, and then applying that knowledge all in a, all in a one hour package. So she's being a little bit humble it's it's a great program <laughs> and to know that started from feeling like she knew nothing about pain you would never know <laughs> yeah and i still don't so know well much done. but that's okay well you know enough to help a lot of people i'm gonna leave it there <laughs> as you alluded earlier let's talk about some misconceptions mm-hmm. uh, i think that's something that ot is full of <laughs> 
and just being a professional in healthcare. Yes. Um, or a professional at all. Being a human. There's lots of misconceptions. And we aren't always sure why we believe some of the things we believe. It's life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, so let's start with a common misconception of feeling like you don't know anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like what I was saying. I still don't know much about pain. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that this not knowing things or... Um, uh, like from when you're an OT, I think, like we said, we're kind of hard to understand. I think there's a, um, maybe it comes from school, maybe it comes from our own culture, but there's kind of this like fight to express who we are and a fight for maybe airtime, you know, in, uh, interdisciplinary team meetings. I think there's a, uh, a push to try to be that person on the team or, um, be that person who knows or be that problem solver, or be that kind of everything because we are such a broad profession. I think though that lends us to not knowing a lot of the time and I, I think there is a misconception that not knowing is bad and ah. not, not knowing <laughs> and not knowing makes you a bad clinician and that if I don't just know or if I have to maybe Google something um, that I'm not good enough and I mean this I think when I was probably in my first year or so that happened a lot like I don't know I didn't know shit. Oops, I'm probably not allowed to swear on here, but um, I, <laughs> we'll I, I don't know anything because I'm going to a, like a role, like you said, right? Building my own role. Or I don't know what I'm doing. So you kind of mm-hmm. just have to try things. And I think through trying things, I realize that I actually don't know a lot. And I'm not saying that that's a fault of the school. I'm not saying that that's a fault of Google or of, you know, my study habits or anything. But it's just the fact that it is so broad and that we're actually dealing with people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody at the hockey game the other night who was like, you're not making donaires, shoot the puck. So I really like to try this line, like we're not making donaires, like OTs don't make donaires, we're making humans, we're helping humans. So of course you're not going to know everything. Yeah. As soon as you feel like you know something, you're probably wrong. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I mean, I take a lot of students, right? And I think when you're first coming out as a clinician or when you are a student, I think you gain confidence from knowing the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know the answer on the test. I got it right on the test. I knew the, how long to make this person's crutches because I knew how, how, how tall he was. So, you know, that kind of thing. Like we get these very concrete examples of when you know the right answer. And I think we start to draw or we in the past as a student, maybe that's appropriate. You can draw your confidence from knowing the answer. But when you're a clinician, you, you need to make a shift. You can't draw confidence from knowing. I think you will do yourself a disservice by building your confidence as, as a professional based on only what you know. Right. Because I think you're missing things 100% and you're going to start to cause yourself s- some stress. Yeah. Trying to know everything mm-hmm. and be an expert. And mm-hmm. I think that expert label sometimes or, you know, occupational therapist label. Yeah. Put some pressure on. Oh, 100%. I think we, and we do that, I think with ourselves, like we're such high achievers now, like with the program, moving to a master's program, you know, people getting into school young, like when I started it as a clinician, I was 27. Like, and I can say now what, I'm almost 32. <laughs> I'm way smarter than I was when I was 27. Way but to go, I still Lord. don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, woo, like pat on the back, right? Like, but I still don't know all the answers. And I think that that actually is powerful to say you don't know. Yes. And I do that all the time. Like when clients, ask me hard questions I will be very frank and say you know what that is an awesome question I have no idea and I think that's empowering to a client as well knowing that hey all the answers aren't out there this Mm -hmm. is hard because this is hard 
Yeah. And I think that's oh, yeah. so validating to be like, hey, you know a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I have this really good question. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they didn't even know. Okay. So like what I have isn't easy. I shouldn't just be able to jump out of being addicted to opioids. Like totally. I shouldn't just wake up and wash my face and now I'm good to go. Like this isn't yeah. straightforward. Yeah. And I think um, that was really... <laughs> Persons with addictions are really good shit sniffers. Like they know when you're. That's a great term. <laughs> like they know when you're feeding them crap, right? Like they know. I think I had to learn really quick that you better just admit that you don't know what it is instead mm-hmm. of trying to make something up, pretend like you know it. And you know who actually that hurt in the end of all that? The only person that was hurt was me because right. I took that back, being like, oh, you know, I tried to make something up. I floundered. I looked flustered. I looked stressed. I don't know. And I beat myself down for that. When what's the point I can go on Google and look it up and Google's not a bad thing. I use Google all the time. So seriously, Google's Google's your friend. Don't worry about it. Everybody does it. So if you're using Google, stop with the shame train. Okay. No more shame train because it's perfectly fine to look at stuff. That's why you're, cl- you're mm-hmm. a clinical, you have the background knowledge, you're just looking for a bit of support. You can weed through that. the stuff that 100%. is not real. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what we went to school for. Well, and there, that's that you, nice segue, Jen. Because <laughs> that's the other piece, I, you know, I've thought a lot about school and I've thought a lot about the differences between being like a clinician and being um, like, a, like being a preceptor, like you're always kind of in a different hat, different role. Um, I think there's a big misconception for, for a long time, I thought when I was in school, school was making me an OT. Yeah, right, and you paid for it. I paid for it, it my degree says OT. <laughs> Like all my classes said OT. But you didn't know everything about OT when you left? Yeah. And I Oh shocking, right? Shocking, right? <laughs> I know. And I, I think there's a misconception that school is there to make you an OT. And that's not true. School is there to give you a foundation. Right. It's there to give you awareness and it's there to help you ask question, the right questions to move forward. But that's all they're responsible for. I right. truly believe that, that they only provide a foundation. And it's then it's up to you to So be sometimes when we were sitting in class learning about different theories mm-hmm. and trying to stay awake and saying, Well, I'm never gonna use this moppy <laughs> what? How do I apply it? Oh yeah. Maybe totally. now we're seeing the importance of having those theoretical models and those frameworks to kind of well, lean on when everything else is a little bit uh, confusing or trying out there. Really funny that you say that because <laughs> I have often now being a clinician thought back to be like oh my god i really like to go back to that class just for an hour and that's the class that i was like, like totally <laughs> not paying attention like probably on yeah. my laptop like being a jerk i really there's been a few classes where i'm like wow i wish i went back and looked at that but that's because it wasn't relevant then it, it wasn't. wasn't relevant and that's not you didn't have fault. anything to hang on to to no. take out and be like i'm gonna go fix this wheelchair now yeah. You weren't going to say, oh, I'm going to talk about this person's spirituality and learn how to yeah. connect with someone. No. Like, that's not not something you can talk about when your no. family calls and, oh, what'd you learn today? Well, <laughs> concretely, I can tell you, but the real learning, I think, happens on your placement and the mm-hmm. real then application of that is when you are a professional. But the school's job is to provide you with a foundation because if you didn't have a foundation, you would not be able to do those things. Exactly. Right. And so yeah. once you become the clinician, it's now up to you to shape your practice, choose your modes, all those theoretical things. But that's mm-hmm. where you get that satisfaction from, I think. Yeah. Too, and right? I love that line you use. School doesn't make you an OT. You make you an OT. Yeah, you make you an OT. That's not why you went there, because you're in a helping profession. So yeah. at the end of the day, what do you have? Just you. 
Just you. So just use you. And that's enough. And I think that's something that I didn't know coming out Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, my being there, my presence, my listening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was way more valuable than the tools I learned in school or your ability to do mocha. (laughs) What do you mean? That's the most important thing I could ever learn. Um, yeah, it's that bringing myself into my role. I mean, I think that can be a scary part because it's like, oh, I have to bring like, you know, it's very easy for me to sit down and run rifle off a mocha and there's no emotion attached to it. But when you use yourself, there's emotion. So I think that's where people need to maybe bust down that little bit of a fear barrier, right? Mm -hmm. And start using themselves. And I'm guaranteeing you'll get more satisfaction out of your job. Like you will. Yes, it'll be kind of scary and yes, it'll be kind of weird, but that's what we went into it for, right? So don't hide behind the assessment. Just be yourself. So I'm going to ask you a tough one here. Oh, God. How do you break down that fear wall? With yourself? <laughs> How do you do it? Like, do you pep talk? Do you just like, what's your, what's your strategy? How do you do it? Uh, sometimes I think like, well, what would I try to do if, you know, you know, if I was the client, like what would I want this person to do for me? Like how would I want them to treat me? And I would want them to treat me as a human. Right. Um, I also think... Maybe. Big standards coming from Lauren. She wants yeah. to be treated as a human. I want to be treated as a human. Yeah. That's right. Please don't treat me as... But when it comes down to it, if that's how you're treating others, then you've got it pretty figured out, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's somebody also had... I don't know who told me this, but it was like people will... They won't remember what you say. They won't remember what you do, but they will remember how you made them feel. Hmm. And that is more important than anything that you did to them, a manual therapy, what you said to them, what advice you gave them. The tools. The tools you you used. I think how you made them feel. Did you make them feel validated? Did you make them feel not judged? Did you make them feel heard? Did you make them feel like a human being? Mm -hmm. You'll get so much farther, even when you think you're not. Yeah. So I think there's that, that's maybe where we need to draw confidence from as a clinician. Not the knowing, but the feeling. Yes. Preach ready for it. Lauren on feelings next week. Yeah, right. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Um, I guess that I want to talk more about this. This is, this is what I love. This is my jelly. Yeah. The peanut butter and jelly reference. When I hear you talking about this, I hear therapeutic use of self. I hear Mm. how do you use you in a therapeutic way? How do you use just you, not anything else, not what you learned in school? How do you use you to help other people? Well, isn't that just the question of the day? Yeah, the most intense. Yeah, therapeutic use of self is, I think, a a pretty big term that we throw around a lot. Yeah, tell me Um, what you think it means. I think we throw it around a lot in school. We throw it around a lot between OTs. Uh, We throw it around at conferences. And I think what we really mean is just being yourself. And I've never, I don't know about you, but I've never been very good at being something I'm not. Mm -hmm. That's always been, I'm not very good at hiding how I feel. I'm not very good at, um, you know, hiding my personality Mm -hmm. and changing my ways to fit, you know, the role that I'm supposed to be. Like, obviously in school, you learn about those modes like coaching advocate. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like who you are as a person. Yeah. So when you get to be yourself as a person, I think that's when you can make the most connection with people it's when you're being raw and authentic so i think i try to never change like my, my personality my personality is always what i lead with yeah and you know some people may get with me and some people may not they may appreciate 
that. Maybe they don't, but I don't really have another, I can't not be who I am. So I think starting mm. with my personality and, and kind of just being raw and being very open, honest, realistic with that person, I think is the way that I start to use my therapeutic use of self. And mm-hmm. then once you make a connection, then obviously I can go into those other ways of, you know, directing, encouraging, all those kinds of different maybe fill like masks you'll put on while you're the therapist right your different therapist hats whatever you want to call it but I think behind all of those you need to stay consistent it's still you yeah it's still you so I was never very good at like I can think of in school I was always really bad at (laughs) being um professional oh that was a thing I got feedback on all the time like Lauren you're not very professional you're uh you know you're kind of casual or your use of words sometimes isn't like you're kind of loud you're kind of those things right and obviously I've, I've learned some of that um but I also was never very good at dressing up and you know looking the part or changing all my language to be super formal or I always that was my impression was like well when they say professional they mean that I have to look like a professional and yeah suit right yeah like I need a suit and I need to be these things I was like well that's not who I am like I'm not like that um but I think as I started to become a clinician I was able to create my own brand of professionalism like Oh, I love that. Yeah, yes. like that's my brand yeah. of it. And I'm still a goof. I use humor all the time. You know, I sometimes throw out F-bombs. Like, stuff like that happens. But but working with your population, yeah, that's real. That's totally. more real life than talking to someone who was in a yeah. button-up suit and is trying to relate to someone who had stints of being homeless. Like, there's yeah. different, different ways of life. And mm-hmm. I think if you can be true to yourself and connect to where someone is coming from, like... Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the trick. And like I said, they're good shit sniffers, right? So, like, why should I try to be something I'm not? <laughs> They'll know, and then they're not going to listen to anything I say. Yeah. So when you're creating your own, what do you call it? Professional brand? Professional My own brand of professionalism. Yes. Okay. So how did you, was this something that you, like, came up with overnight? Is it something that shaped over time? How did you figure out what that was for you? I think by the time I got out of school, I, well, actually my, um, my one IPC, I think, really helped. One of my placements really What's helped. What's an IPC? Sorry, independent community placement. That was the one I did at the addiction center. Yes. Um, when I did that placement, I feel like that really helped kind of be like, oh, I can still be myself mm-hmm. and be I can still be an OT. I don't have to be the university's version of an OT. Right. I can be my version of an OT and that's working just fine. And then when I got into work, I think that just reinforced that. So yeah, it's like a slow overtime kind of build. Um, and it's always just really worked for me being very, uh, you know, realistic back to that, not knowing, like I'm pretty honest. Like I'll, mm-hmm. like I said, I'll straight up tell people I don't know the answer. Um, and I think just always being the most transparent I can with the clients has always worked really really well there's no hiding and then I never take anything home I never feel like I have to take something home because I didn't hide that's making anything so wow right like that's where that self-care comes in is if you didn't actively do that and just be pretty realistic yeah you weren't working so hard to not be to be an emotionless robot you you didn't have to put that stress on your body Mm -hmm. you're able to feel what you're feeling and help as yeah as you could I mean and I still feel I feel like there is a thing such as I guess desensitization with time like you hear the same kind of stories over and over you know there is that vicarious um, kind of 
you feel their traumas sometimes and I think you get kind of desensitized over time when you're working with an addiction and mental health population mm-hmm. right um, but I, I still f- allow myself to feel the emotions when they're telling me the story like do they show on my face no do I have mm-hmm. a good group face yes um, but do I allow myself to feel those things like sure so I think like you said being allowed to feel those things and not have to just try and block everything out yeah and be perfect and be an expert at all times is yeah. really satisfying to me like it's that's what makes my job easy yeah I guess more easy it's feeling it but not necessarily showing it to an extent where it's gonna hamper your relationship with the client or yeah you like, feel that inside yeah. and you know that's that maintaining that maybe that bit of professionalism on the outside but it's not mm-hmm. saying you can't feel that kind of stuff inside yeah. but as long as you feel it in the moment and you kind of get over it then you don't take it home right like it's not yeah yeah it's not the same it's and different. I feel like if you start to not feel when clients are telling their their stories then that might be a problem yeah. <laughs> when you're not moved anymore sometimes that's, I wish I felt more yeah 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 that's kind of your warning sign more yeah. so than feeling too much is feeling too little it's feeling too little yeah it's like yeah. I kind of wish I felt more or like why didn't that bother me yeah right that's mm-hmm. kind of a it's huh, a good mm-hmm. way to kind of view self-care in a different yeah. different angle different angle yeah cool <laughs> if you guys can hear stuff in the background, uh, we are at Lauren's place with her adorable guinea pigs. <laughs> They're thirsty. thirsty they, they just want to contribute. They're, they've uh, learned a lot of things vicariously through <laughs> through Lauren. Studied. <laughs> studied all the OT textbooks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Lauren, you've taken on a lot of students. What yes. are the biggest things that they can learn from you? Well, or that you want to help shape. <laughs> yeah, I really like students. They're really helpful. They're really bright. They make my day. So sometimes when they're like, "Oh, I thank you for like you know taking us," I'm like, "No, no, no. It was selfish. Like I took you for a reason." <laughs> they also do a lot of projects for you, so I love it. Um, so I really do enjoy having students, especially because I'm alone. I'm the only OT. So sometimes when you have somebody else who has the same mind as you, it's great. Um, but one thing I think I get asked a lot, and I love this because students are so um, keen and they want to demonstrate that they're, you know, engaged. And and again, back to that knowing, right? There, mm-hmm. I think sometimes their version of knowing is maybe through with like a textbook or reading or something really concrete, which is great. Like that's fine. And obviously, there's other ways, but that's one that I know I've been asked a few times: Is there readings you want me to do? Is there something you want me to know about addiction before I come? Is there a some sort of assessment that you want me to familiarize myself with before I come to your place and my answer is always hell no please don't read (laughs) anything don't learn anything don't take time away from your studies or from sleep sleep is so valuable Um, or getting good nutrition like just don't worry about it show up to placement the thing I want you to do is show up with enthusiasm a smile on your face and be a human like that's what I ask you to show up with um, I think there's a another I guess one of our misconceptions has kind of been the theme today is that OTs are built on skills that we are maybe the sum of our skills our worth is maybe the sum of yeah. what we know how many assessments we know and- yeah how many assessments do you know and do you know the differences between them and what they're used for and you know all of those things and I have always said in the very first day whenever I have students is that I do not care about your hard skills yes why not I don't care <laughs> 
what I want you, what I really care about is I want you to focus on your soft skills. Can you listen? Can you respect someone? Can you show empathy? Can you listen? Can you do that connection piece? Can you engage with someone in a conversation? Can you monitor your body language? Can you maintain your face when they tell you an emotional story? You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Those soft skills are so important because again, it's back to that human piece. You, any monkey can learn how to do a mocha. Right? It's true. Like you can, if you really want to learn some kind of assessment, some very concrete assessment, I will give you a whole day if you want to write a script on You can do it. That's right. I will give you a full day to do it. You can practice on me. You can practice on another staff. Like you can do it till you're confident. Like that is a very doable thing, but I cannot teach you how to be a human being. You need to have already Mm -hmm. known that. So practice those things. That's the stuff I want you to really come here with. Don't worry about the rest of it. You'll learn it. And if you don't learn it on placement and you don't learn it at school, you'll learn it when you're a clinician. So but the parts you won't have time for, what needs to become automatic is that connection building piece. Right. So please do not put that you know, behind your assessment skills. Yeah, those are important because the school needs to grade you on something, right? Yeah. Like I'm not saying that that's not at least worthy, but like in the real world, like please don't, don't put that behind your soft skills behind your hard, hard skills. Your right. soft skills always shine first and that's when clients will either do the assessment for you or they won't. <laughs> Still, you get a lot of refusals, right? right? So yeah, it doesn't matter how good you are give, assessing yeah. with a mocha if you can't get them to do it, the consent, and then it know. doesn't matter how good it is, right? Yeah. If they're like, mm, I see right to you, you're not, yeah, totally. yeah. And then sure, you have the assessment done, but if you don't have that connection with someone, how are you supposed to help them when their Forward. score is really low, mm-hmm. or how are you supposed to help them when it's like, actually, you passed all this? Like, I don't. I don't know what's going on here. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the meaning is lost from the assessment if you don't yeah. have that connection to share honestly and openly what the assessment found. Yeah. yeah. So I think that those, again, that misconception of that, you know, our, our skills are so much a part of like our profession and who we are. I think that needs to be a little bit back burner. It's, mm-hmm. it's that human piece first. And, you know, that's been a theme I think of so far of our talking is that that connection mm-hmm. and rapport stuff is just like... It's harder, harder to teach that, right? So please focus on that, make that good, make it automatic, and you're gonna be far better for it. Yeah, so that sounds like, okay, steps to be to creating your professional brand. Yeah. One, yeah. know who you are as a human. Yeah, Because you totally. can't be goofy with someone if you're not a goofy person. That's like, right. You can't just make up a persona that you wish you were. That's right, don't try to use this. humor if you're not, like you don't if get humor a... yourself. <laughs> and use dad jokes like I do if that's your thing. Like oh puns all day. My clients think it's horrible, but yeah. then, you know, a month in, they're like, hey, I heard this one. And then you know you, you have them when they're yeah. like bringing in horrible puns yeah. or they're beating you to it because they know that's your sense of humor, totally. right? Oh, so, totally. Okay, so. Know who you are as a human, step mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. What do you think step two would be? Oh, man. I know. Got to create a model here. <laughs> step two. Yeah, one, know who you're... Yeah, know yourself. Step two, don't be... Af- yeah, don't be afraid. Oh, don't be afraid. I love that. You don't have don't to know afraid. who you're working with. Just don't be afraid of whoever they are. Yeah, don't be afraid of who they are. That's very true. Yeah. I get that a lot in addictions, actually. Like, are you afraid of your clients? No. Why would I be afraid of my clients? <laughs> They're like the kindest people who've yeah. been hurt the most. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, no. Like, so like, don't be afraid to help anybody because at the end of the day, you're an OT and you can work anywhere. That's yeah. the whole point. With anyone. 
with anyone. That's right. Yeah. And then the third step is know your own boundaries. Knowing that this isn't like creating a friendship. You're not just getting to know them for fun. Oh gosh. That there's a meaning (laughs) behind it. Well, yeah. Always staying true to that piece, I think is important, right? Like, yeah, you're Mm -hmm. there to do a job. You're not there to be their friend. Yeah. So maybe so that seeing the, the therapist is something you can always anchor yourself to when you feel like you're losing yourself. Like you said, that boundary piece. Yeah. Okay. So know who you are as a human. Don't be afraid of getting to know other humans. No. And know your role, know I guess. Know your role. Yeah. There yeah. we go. That's better know than boundaries. Role. Know your role. Know your yeah. Role. It's temporary. It's, you're not there forever. And you don't have to save them. Our job is not saving people. Oh, I love that. Especially in mental health and addictions. Mm-hmm. No. Not your job. No, I've heard a good saying. Um, I think it's related to children. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's children and parenting. But a child is just passing through your love and care as you raise them. Yeah. Like they're not yours. Like they're passing through and they're developing and becoming oh. a new person. They're becoming themselves, right? And it's your job yeah. to support them as they're passing through you your, don't have your direct time. Over them. Yeah, it's yeah. not you know, and I think that's something a lot of parents struggle with, but like, I love that perspective change, but I use that clinically all the time. They are passing through. It's my um, privilege to get to give them tools on their journey, Mm -hmm. but they're passing through my time. I'm not anything special in their world. No. And keeping that reminder, because sometimes it does feel like you're all they have or those sorts of ideas, but no, they're just passing through. Yep. And we can give them what we can give them at that time. And they'll take it or they'll leave it. Right? But it's, mm-hmm. and again, it's that how did you make them feel? Yeah. Not what did you do? What did you say? How did you make them feel? Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, they're not out there to save them. They ultimately have the choice. They have to be the ones to, you know, make those changes or do those differences or whatever it is, right? Those things that you've given them. So don't take it home if they're not, if not ready to accept that. Yeah, if they're not ready. Go out for stuff. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But you He'll tried say. when they were, yeah, you tried to share what you know. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can ever ask of anyone, let alone a professional. Yeah. Hey, generalists. If you're like me and want more OT talk, check out otpodcasts.com for occupational therapy and occupational science podcasts from around the world. That's otpodcasts.com. Okay, Lauren, we're going to get into some uh, harder questions now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know being true to yourself as a human is a great way that you deal with self-care. Yep. um, As it happens, like, with clients and Mm -hmm. doing the actual clinician work. Mm -hmm. I know a little tidbit about you that self-care is harder when you're dealing with systems and the politics of healthcare and all the red tape we deal with on a daily. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, that's totally my Achilles heel for sure. Cause there's been a number of times where I've wanted to leave this job that I'm at. Um, and for some reason I keep staying. And the reason I'm staying is because of the clients, like 100%. Like I like what I do. I like having autonomy. I like, um, you know, answering to myself. I like being the only OT. That's like stuff that goes for me really well. Um, you're still inspired there. Yeah, yeah, I'm so yeah. inspired there, exactly. But then the part that I think, and I didn't realize this, this is one of those wish I would have known kind of things or wish I would have maybe realized mm-hmm. is that the system just doesn't go away. There's oh, always okay. a system and there's always some sort of overhead or some kind of you know, authority or some kind of something that's gonna be influencing how you do your job. 
right? And what you get to do with clients. Like I remember, I think on our our CAOT exam, I remember there being questions where the answer was based like basically on like an ideal world. Like, what would you get for this person? Like a freaking water park. And you're like, well, yeah, they'd love a water park. Wouldn't that be great? How in the heck am I supposed to get them a water park? Like no government agency is going to fund this shit. Like you guys are full of crap. So I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, like ADL doesn't have water like, slides? No, yeah, oh. no, they should just install water slides everywhere. Like, I don't understand. So, <laughs> like, that was, like, this part that I was like, oh, right, there's always going to be this, like, big brother sort of system piece that overarches, you know, what you're doing and what you mm-hmm. do in your job. And I think when I get frustrated with my job, it always comes back to the system and the politics that I'm facing right. at that present moment, whether it's with, you know... Um, the public health authority, whether it's with DBA, whether it's with, you know, um, even when you were in school, there's obviously, you know, um, politics above the school, at the school level, right. all that stuff, right? So even if you have great professional relationships with your team, with the mm-hmm. people you talk to, there's mm-hmm. always somebody higher up where there's mandates from higher up. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know where this higher up place is. I'd like to find it one day, but... <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to go up there and set it on fire because I'm... <laughs> We do not promote arson on this podcast. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. (laughs) This is all figuratively speaking. But I would say that's that's my Achilles heel is that there's always going to be this piece. And I know that I do poor self-care around trying to remove that. I haven't quite figured out how to not let it affect me or how to how it not let it bother me or interfere with how I feel when I'm at work because things will just get me mad things will get me upset things will get me angry um and how to not take that home too right and and that's the only thing I ever complain to you know my husband about is oh my god this happened today and it's never about a client no like never it's never about a client I don't think I've ever been mad at a client in my life like I honestly can't think of like yeah there's challenging clients certainly like you're working with humans um but like there's like this this aboveness because you just feel I guess that you have no control so Mm. I think there was somebody who told me once in my undergrad I really liked what they said they were like the best way like if you try to fight the system you're probably not going to make it anywhere right because the system is too big for one giant it's fighting King Kong right it's too big for one person but if you learn how the system works and you can navigate with it or flow with it you'll have a better opportunity at finding things that you can change, like what Mm -hmm. one person can change or one person can get by with or, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I mean, I try to remember that and I try to always be cognizant of, no, this is how the system works. This is how I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to try and fight that because I'm basically... That's a battle that's not worth... Yeah, I'm basically pounding my head against a wall. Like that's not going to change just from kicking and screaming. We have a, a saying like coming from family mm. um is is that the hill you're gonna die on yeah you know totally. like pick your battles we talk about this all the time with kids but mm-hmm. i think we gotta talk about it when we're talking about systems and bigger things oh, yeah. too right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah totally like that yeah that what, what's your hill that you're gonna die on right and mm-hmm. i think i still really struggle with that because i see a lot of injustice mm-hmm. and you see a lot of mistreatment or you see a lot of mismanagement of resources or you see um things that 
you know, you know it can be better. Yeah, you see it written on paper and you're like, wow, does that ever sound good? And then in reality, it's a schmoz. Like, yeah. It's totally not what it says on paper. Like that's a lie. Or, you know, like those things can be so disappointing, but I just, I haven't figured out quite how to mm-hmm. not let that affect me. Um, but I think it's important for people to know. But you can yes. get burnt out advocating. That's like, the thing. Advocating yeah. is great. And it's I'm, hard work. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a loud voice and I'm not a nice person sometimes for sure. But, or I can sound not nice, but you know what I mean? <laughs> still like, in your professional I'm brand. <laughs> I'm lo- yeah, still in my professional brand. That's right. This not niceness, a little bit insolent sometimes. I would say that's part of my professional brand. And sometimes brand. you need that for advocacy work. Totally. And I, I mean, but I think advocating can get that leads to, I think that's a big piece of people's is burnout is they, yeah. they feel like they're advocating and nothing's happening. Right. Because we get told that's one of the big things in OT school they talk about. I know yeah. that. And it comes up in, in the clinical world all the time. Like, how do you advocate for a client? How do you advocate for a program? How do you advocate for a system? How do you advocate for a family? Whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when you're constantly kind of going to bat, but you're striking out every time, not how do you continue doing that yeah i I, I don't know it's really hard it is really hard that's the one piece i i haven't figured out how i haven't figured that part out yet so listeners if you have any advice feel free to email me at the generalist at gmail.com and um we can chat about it Mm -hmm. but i think that's a really tough piece of this job is either you feel like you need to advocate for everything Mm -hmm. or you feel like your voice is not going to be heard and you shut down completely yeah it's that you know, going with the flow mm-hmm. until there's opportunity for you to influence and advocate at that point yeah. where it's more strategic. So you get the biggest bang for your buck and, but letting some pieces just yeah. float by when you know, maybe that's not exactly how they should be, or that's not how this should run. But knowing that, you know, you're just going to go and strike out and waste time and energy that you could have been spending directly with people yeah. or you could have been spending making your case for the topic that you actually have influence over. That's right. There's a a, a good example. I've had a lot of students do projects for me over the years. They have like a project at the university where they um, will do like a, like a, maybe a proposal for budget, like how much would it cost to do a certain program or what would it look like if you tried to add this? Um, so for a few years in a row, I had them do projects that were meaningful to me that I thought yeah. were real things. Um, I was like this, if we had this here at this addiction treatment center, that would be great. Um, do I think that I can just go to my manager and be like, look at this great program? No. But what I did was I had them do the work and then I literally put them on the shelf until the right time came. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually shelved the, them for well, like Well, while we're talking a about couple, this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Like, hey, it's the right climate. We have a new manager. Let me just walk over We just my, got this grant, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Here's my new project. What about this? Like, you guys are talking a lot about this right now. How about we have this? And it got ate up like done like dinner like and then it just adds to your credibility and your influence in that totally so but why but why would I try and die on that hill like two years before that there was no point there's no money there's no nothing my manager was set in their ways whatever and then maybe it wouldn't have been eaten up like it was totally oh this is something we already tried and we already talked about it and oh yeah or like no no no, there's no money for that or I don't know that's a waste of time or how the hell would that ever fly you know that kind of I love how many people we know that sound like this oh yeah that's how they (laughs) well I don't like what someone's saying that's what they sound like 
Brown it. Just Charlie Brown it. Yeah. Every, every adult. Exactly. Yeah. So I think like there's a way to work within the system. There always is. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it though. Maybe you're never going to really know. Like right. back to that not knowing. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like maybe I'll ever be really confident with working with the system, but it's... Right. Uh, that seems like a great strategy though. Something I wish I knew yeah. when I was a student, I think, because I was probably pretty naive that there was going to be this much of an influence or like that, that that would be what would be making me frustrated and questioning my job. Right. I didn't think that would ever be the thing. I thought it would be my own mental health or, you know, my position got cut or my like, because I hate the system. What are you talking about? Like, that seems like such a foreign concept. That's who pays me. Like, that's that's how everyone works. Yeah. yeah, And then it seems like too, and this sounds silly, people will be like, oh yeah, but you get paid a good amount of money. You know what? No amount of money in the world makes me hate the system less. You could pay me. Yep. $80,000 $80,000 an hour and I wouldn't be like, mm-hmm, yeah, they're great. Like it just wouldn't happen. So you could well, pay me maybe, $5 because an Because then hour. you could get the clients whatever you needed and you could just fund your own program. Nah, yeah, right. But until that, that, yeah. that extreme happens. Yeah, until then. <laughs> just, then it'll be uh, Lauren's side OT job. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just think. changing the world, it'd be fine. <laughs> I'll just fund it all myself. Yeah. So we're also starting a GoFundMe for Lauren. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. For uh, anything that clients want that... So that's not covered exam water work park that's what we yeah. want perfect sounds sounds very doable yeah. okay. all right lauren it's time for my favorite part of the show oh, gosh. rapid fire questions okay. are you ready yeah totally go ahead okay what guides your practice uh what guides it mm-hmm. that's a really good question i think whatever's in front of me like just meeting the client where they're at. So whatever the client wants and whatever the client does, that's what guides my practice. So that's back to that realism piece, I think. Like just authentic in the moment, like whatever, like stay true to myself and that'll guide what 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 they want and, and who they are in front of me. That That's probably how I let my practice kind of unfold. Who they are guides you. I love that. Yeah. That's great. How do you describe what an OT does or your current role? Oh, like the elevator. The elevator pitch. Give me your... So I always, when people are like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm an OT. And they just kind of look at you with a blank stare. Um, Usually you get the job thing and like that kind of stuff. So my little spiel is, okay, well, when we say occupation, I was like, we actually mean not an occupation as in like what you do for work, but an occupation is anything that occupies your time. I like so it. So you choose, like, what is it that you want to work on? Is it something like brushing your teeth? Is it something like managing your addiction? Is it something like um, going for a walk every day? Like, whatever you pick, what it is, but it's what occupies your time. Cool. That's and what I say. Then you're a therapist of that. You help people choose yeah. how they occupy their time, or how how do you phrase that? Well, then I let them ask their own questions. Okay. Then, so you then define like, occupation. Oh, okay. I'm okay. like, yeah, it, dep- it depends on how you occupy your time. Whatever you want to do to occupy your time, that's maybe something I could help you with. And they're like, oh, okay, so you mean like this? And then they just like go off on their own thing and you're like, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nice. That has like the professional Lauren brand all over it. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Then you just go ahead and guide the rest of it. I'm just yeah. going to give you a little carrot and you just go off with it because I don't want to have to go into all these You don't have to make it up on your own. Models you just have to shit. help people yeah, shape what they already think. Yeah, that's what they want it to be. That's right. Nice. All right. Um, one piece of advice you'd give yourself starting out, little baby Lauren, five years ago. <laughs> uh, probably, like, don't lose sight of what you're doing. 
So who, what are you doing when you go to work? You're helping clients. You're not fighting the system. What, uh, are, you, what are you doing when you go to work? Like, why are you going there? What are, what are your... Don't lose sight of that. Great advice. Yeah. Um, how do you take care of you? When you fought the system too hard or... <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say Xbox? Yeah, you totally are. <laughs> How do you go? <laughs> I don't know. I probably talk a lot. We have there's a group of us that that chat a lot about you know what we see as wrong and the injustices and things like that. How do I take care of me? I think I I'm open and honest with some close people like my husband, things like that. What bothers me? Um, I definitely do play Xbox, which is a great distraction technique. Not always recommended. Um, for <laughs> though. Uh, I think though it's it's also been really helpful, like um, having you know other people in your life and being able to have a life outside of work. So I think being able to refocus on that, you know, um, is really really um, that helps me a lot. As I am able to leave things at work because I have something to go to after. Right, kind of yeah. reset mm-hmm. into your mm-hmm. world yeah. rather than that's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then lastly, what about this work? fills your bucket or inspires you why do you do what you do uh there's a lot of probably a lot of reasons why i guess like many of them are practical many of them are you know for but you could you could make like, money anywhere yeah you can why do it's you not, do this yeah work? it's not about money it's definitely not about money mm-hmm. although the money is nice i won't lie um i think i do it or I, I like the population that, I mean, you could be an OT anywhere, right? So I think, but for specifically for me, I need to be in a place where I'm constantly challenged and I need to be with, um, I've always taken pride in helping clients that are misunderstood or the, 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 the what do you call marginalized. it? Marginalized. Yeah, marginalized populations. I think I've always really liked that. I don't know, I can't really tell you why, but I think that's- I'm always, in the same, the same boat. Yeah, yeah, I can't really tell you why, but it's just like I've always, enjoyed that um and I think this sounds weird but because I kind of built that job like I built that role I mean this is a good thing and a bad thing but I actually strongly identify with it now Mm. and that's hard because it's almost become a little bit part of my identity so I think having that be part of my identity keeps me inspired because I'm constantly building and reshaping myself okay from a work standpoint (laughs) If that right. makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like ingrained in me now. So it's like I kind of can't not be inspired by it because I put myself into it. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And it's, about, you know. it's hard to separate the two sometimes. Right. Which mm-hmm. can create its own problems, but also to- yeah, some good stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. When you're yeah. always. I haven't decided like where that falls on. <laughs> where OT Lauren's starts and, and or stops and sometimes at yeah. home Lauren starts. The at-home part is okay, but it's how do I get rid of, like, the place that I work out of my OT identity. Okay, so do now you, you mean? are it's forever. It's not my identity, me. Not your personal. No, it's okay. my, my, who I am as a therapist, though. You are always an addiction and mental yeah, health. Right. And I don't know if I can be something else. Well, don't be afraid weird. of it. That's right. right, right. Back to, yeah, exactly. Back to the See? knowing and, you know, you still got that cl- clinical reasoning. See, ta-da, ta-da. Even though we there can preach a bunch of stuff doesn't mean that it's not always it's real. Not, in yeah, all it's the, relevant to you at yeah. all times, right? So Always learning. Always mm-hmm. find out we don't know stuff. 
that means you know more or less. I don't know. <laughs> you know a lot though. You do. You know a lot. So be confident in that. Thank you so much, Lauren, for yeah. being here today. I had a great time. You too. This is really cool. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing a little bit about the do's and don'ts and wish you would have known. No problem. In your first five years of practice. No problem. Thanks for doing this. I think it's a, a missed area for us for sure. So I'm really glad you're doing this. Yay, OT. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Thank you. A big thank you to Lauren Levier for having a conversation with me. Music in this episode is by David Hyde. This podcast has been so much fun to get started. Now I need your help to bring together OT voices from across Canada. If you want to share your story or have ideas for future episodes or seasons, connect with me on Facebook at The Generalist Podcast or by email at thegeneralistpodcast at gmail.com. That's The Generalist with a J.